the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although their doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Pray with me, please. Gracious Father in heaven, the one who rose again, brought again from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, apply this, these words to our heart. Edit my thoughts, my words, and move our hearts and our minds to understand the truth about our risen Lord Jesus, in whose name we come. Amen. My sermon is text is not the whole text here. It's just the very last verse. In fact, it's only the last half of the last verse. It's a very simple text. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's a beatitude. Had you noticed a beatitude in the Gospel of John before? It had sort of passed me by as I was preparing this sermon. Suddenly I thought, wow, I can build my text on that. My sermon on that text. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. A beatitude What's a beatitude? When we think of the beatitude, surely what we think of is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know them. There's a description of the character that God calls us to. 
and the description of the benefits that happen thereafter. Or perhaps you think of the shorter version of the Beatitudes in Luke's Gospel. But John's Gospel includes two. The first one was right after the Lord Jesus had washed the feet of the disciples there in the upper room when nobody was prepared to take care of those dirty feet. And Jesus, taking his cloak off and putting a towel on, washed their feet and afterwards got up and said, you know that a servant is not greater than the master? The messenger is not greater than the one that sends the messenger? And you know what I have done for you. Blessed are you if you do, if you know this and you do these things, commending to them servant, heart to serve. Well, that's the first beatitude in John's gospel. The last one is this one. What does it mean anyway to be blessed? Very often you'll hear it's to be happy. And that's not wrong, but it's not the fundamental aspect of what it means to be blessed. What it means to be blessed is to be the recipient of God's favor, to be a subject of God's grace, to be accepted by the holy God whose opinion ultimately matters most. That's what it means to be blessed, to be blessed. And this morning I want to bring home to you again the blessedness of what it means to believe in the resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior. And I have three points here. First of all, Jesus is actually predicting there are going to be the, those who will believe in his resurrection without having seen him living. Secondly, I'm going to look at what this blessedness consists of that comes to those who believe without seeing. And third, we're going to look at what it means to actually believe in the resurrection of the Son of God. So the first one, that some, indeed many, will actually believe without seeing. Remarkable. Unexpected. Unparalleled. But here we are 2,000 years later in a worldwide church of believers who have not seen the risen Lord exists. And this church is growing. This church has expanded into multiple nations and ethnic groups and language groups. This church has covered the globe and continues to expand through these days of persecution in so many parts of the world. Sociologists will ask, why? Historians will ask, why? And I'll, let me give you three quick, simple reasons. One is the simple witness, the confident witness of the first eyewitnesses. And what did they witness to? Two things. The empty tomb, unexpected, perplexing, and even distressing. The empty tomb. Very important. 
No corpse of Jesus of Nazareth was ever presented by the foes of the gospel because there was none. Secondly, the multiple sightings where people not only saw him and talked with him and touched him, but he even ate with him in multiple places on the road to Emmaus by the lake shores of Lake, uh, of lake Galilee. The multiple sightings, now two of those two things together combined will work in any court of law in the sense that eyewitness testimony that hasn't been controverted by other evidence will be received. There's sufficient reason to believe, unless your mind is made up that it can't happen. Secondly, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Fifty days later, after this happened, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came forth and gave power to the proclamation of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And people swarmed into the church of the Lord Jesus there on the day of Pentecost and shortly thereafter. The seal of the Holy Spirit, which brought boldness, which brought clarity, so that those early disciples, they were able to say, no, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The seal of the Holy Spirit. Third, this is an interesting one. It's predicted by Jesus. After he asked his disciples who he was, and they confessed that he was indeed the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he said, on that profession, on that rock, I will build my church. Now, if you've been in the church for very long, you've noticed that the leaders of the local branches of the Church of Jesus Christ are often not attractive. They often make foolish mistakes. They often even behave in ways inconsistent with their profession. And if you're interested in history at all and you pay any attention to the history of the Christian church and, and you read about its history, you will be shocked with the multiple scandals that have existed through the centuries and how wicked people have gotten into positions of leadership. Why is it, given this kind of leadership, that is so often in the Church of Jesus Christ, why is it that the organization continues to exist at all? Would General Motors succeed with that kind of behavior? Or, or would some other institution continue to exist? The institutions come and go. The church keeps going. Why? Because Jesus is building it. The church is growing because the good shepherd is calling sheep by name, and the sheep are hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus, the risen Savior, and they're following him. They recognize his voice, and they go to church to hear his voice proclaimed. Apply now this first point here. Some, indeed many, will believe without having seen, and it's this. 
the application is this. If you're one of those who believe without seeing, rejoice this Easter morning that you are one of the sheep that Jesus has called by name. And you've heard his voice. Rejoice that your risen Savior is your good shepherd now and he's leading you. Let me move on to my second main point, which is to unpack the nature of this blessing, partially unpack it. What is this blessing that is granted by the Lord Jesus and by his Father and by the Holy Spirit? What is this blessing that's granted to those who believe without seeing? Number one, you have a successful Savior. You have a Savior who is not only willing to save you, he's able to save you. He showed his willingness to save you by dying. He demonstrated his love for you while you were yet sinners. He died in your place. And now, in his resurrected power and glory, he has the power the ability to save you to the utmost. You have a successful Savior. His Father, God the Father, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth, proclaimed his work on that cross, his ransom that he came to give for many, proclaimed that ransom sufficient to free those enslaved, and needing redemption. The Father pronounced his propitiation, his averting the wrath, the anger of a holy God against sinners. That wrath is averted. It is satisfied. His accomplishment is sealed by the Father's raising him to life again. And God is reconciled with sinners. The first point, the basic point, is this. You have a successful Savior. But there's more. One of the things that Jesus promised was, wait, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you again. I'm going to come and live with you. And the Father's going to come and be present. And how's that going to happen? It's going to be happened by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of the resurrected Lord ascended, the Holy Spirit's poured out on Pentecost, and we were given new life to live in the Lord Jesus. We're changed. We're different. Paul puts it this way, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Psychologists looking at us was sometimes uh, a little confused. Some of the early American uh, scholars, William James, varieties of Christian experience, they were dealing with what? happened to people in the first great awakening. They're willing to admit 
that they're sinful. They're willing to ask for forgiveness. They're willing to grant forgiveness. They make attempts to follow that unbelievable love commandment, new commandment of the Savior in the upper room, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Have you been in the church very long? Have you noticed how you actually do like people that you couldn't imagine having liked if you hadn't been put in church with them? Where's that coming from? It's coming from a new power granted by the resurrected Lord. It's what Paul talks about in Philippians 3, in verse 10, as he talks about all of his past, his great accomplishments in Judaism as a successful Pharisee, how he was growing and advancing. And he said when he met the risen Lord, all that was put behind him. And what he wanted now to do was just to know this Jesus better in order that he might experience the resurrection power that Jesus grants him. We're changed. We're utterly changed, and we're willing to do humble service. It's been decades now since the Islamic Revolution in Iran. I believe that was 79. Not too long after that, and remember the terrible relationships and the diplomats that were captive there for so many years, American diplomats. But there were some, not many years later, there was a serious earthquake in Iran, and people from all over the world were going to help. And the Iranians even received a delegation of Americans to go help, um, among whom were believers in Jesus. And when they got there, they found that there wasn't really much they could do. There was all these other experts everywhere else from everywhere else that were doing all the good things, but some of them noticed something. Nobody was cleaning the latrines. They set themselves to it. The Iranians noticed. We're changed. Humble service is something open to us in a way that it wouldn't have been before. We, you see, the world we inhabit, this space-time world that so many of our cultures say is closed, nothing beyond matter and time and energy, nothing outside, no word from outside, no, uh, no spiritual power from outside, no. The resurrection demonstrates to us that there is such a thing as spiritual power here and now. We no longer can be just materialists if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates there's more to reality than the closed system of space-time. Next. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus gives us hope. And by hope, when we talk about the Christian hope, we're not just talking about some desire 
that uh, has varying degrees of probability of ever being realized, like, for example, I hope I win the lottery. Or, for many of us here today, I hope I'm going to have a normal summer again with COVID-19 in rearview mirror. I hope. No. The hope that we're given is a confident expectation that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus has initiated God's redemptive program that will one day be fulfilled in his time. So there's hope when we're at the gravesite of a loved one. There's hope when we look at the dismay and evil and wickedness of this world. There's hope that Jesus will one day bring things to right. There's hope, confidence. We're actually on the winning side. Our risen Savior is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's risen. He's Lord. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're on his side as we believe in the resurrection of the Son of God. I had a ruling elder in my church in New Jersey named Will Durfler. Will Durfler, if the name Durfler rings a bell to some of you, his son Peter was actually, for one year, a youth worker here at Wallace. Will Durfler used to love to tell new members of our congregation, you know, by joining a branch of a, a local branch of the Christian church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are becoming part of an institution that will go into eternity. No other human institution will go into eternity. Not your alma maters, not your, not your workplace, not, not, no national government. Only the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will go into eternity. We're given hope, made citizens of that great privilege of being on the winning side with the one who is Lord of Lords. Now, there are many other aspects of this blessedness. How about joy? What Jesus promised in the upper room to his disciples, you're going to grieve, but afterwards you're going to see me and you're going to have joy and nobody will take that joy away from you. No time to go there. What about peace? What he just told the disciples as he comes into the room, peace. No time to go there. What about rest? You see, if this wasn't a sermon, it was a Sunday school class discussion, you know what I'd do, be doing right now? I'd be opening the floor for other contributions from the rest of you. Instead, what I'm going to do, because it's a sermon, is I'm going to give you an assignment. This afternoon, fill in the blanks. What else besides the things that I have mentioned? Purpose in life. But I decided that this sermon needed to have discussion of the fact that there would indeed be those who believe in the Lord Jesus without his resurrection without having seen him. And then I needed to talk about what it means to believe in the resurrection. So I move to my final point here. 
What does it mean when we say we believe in the risen Lord? And if you're here perhaps today and you're not really convinced a, a believer in the Lord Jesus, or if you're listening online and you under, uh, you're really wondering what it is to believe, let me try to explain to you negatively this. We don't believe that Jesus was simply resuscitated to go on to live for a season, maybe even decades, and then to die like everybody else does. That's not what we believe. It's not resuscitation like what Lazarus had, or the, some of the, the, the son of the widow of Nain, or the Jairus' daughter. It's not that. What is it that we mean when we say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus? We mean that God's, the resurrection of Jesus is God's parting shot, opening blow in making his intent known to change all things, to make all things new, to put into uh, practice, put into, uh, uh, into action, into motion, his plan for a new age. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the demonstration that there will indeed be a change of overwhelmingly, uh, overwhelming uh, significance at the end of this age, ushering in a new age when God will make all things new through Jesus, the first fruits, the first one to be born again. Um, the Apostle Paul had to face the, uh, the skepticism of some of the Greeks that actually had joined the church in the city of Corinth. These were skeptic about the whole idea of a resurrection body. And uh, maybe they sort of accepted that Jesus was somehow rather resurrected, but the idea that they would be resurrected just seemed to them like a fairy tale. And so what the apostle did was he came up with a, an analogy from botany. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. I didn't include it this time. I already had a long reading from Luke 24, and I didn't want to give you <laughs> the whole of 1 Corinthians 15, but he defends there not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of the body in the tree. And the, the analogy is this. If you're a farmer, you take some of that seed, if it's wheat or grain, you could actually eat it. But instead of eating it, you bury it in the ground where it will rot. And you won't be able to eat it. It will disintegrate. But what will happen? New life will come out of it. See, that's what happened. That's what we believe about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That the physical body that he came to uh, when, he, when he was incarnate, 
the physical body provided for him, that died, but there was continuity with that body as he was resurrected. And the continuity was recognized by the eyewitnesses, but the change was also seen. It was puzzling. The door is locked, but yet he comes in. The change is there as well as the continuity is there. So, this body dies, but it's changed, it's resurrected into a changed and glorious new form. Thomas, who has been given, I think, unhappily, uh, the name Doubting Thomas, I think Thomas is presented in the Gospel of John as the first disciple to really understand the significance of what the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ would mean. You don't find in any of the other Gospel accounts of the resurrection, you don't find the kind of confession that the Apostle Thomas makes when he finally sees and believes. Thomas says, I see now all the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in you, Jesus. And that means, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. So, my next point here about what does it mean to believe in the resurrection? It's to conclude with the Apostle Thomas, my Lord and my God. You see, when we believe in the resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, we are committing allegiance to a person. That's first and foremost. There are creeds, there are confessions, but when you come to the Christian religion, you are coming to Jesus. You are making profession of faith in Jesus as Lord, as God. And add the pronoun, uh, my Lord, my God. We're not coming first to an ideology. There are implications that come from receiving him as Lord, God and Lord, but those implications follow from the commitment. I had the enormous privilege here at Wallace a few years back. There was a Chinese believer that had attended Wallace here. He wanted to get married. There was a problem. His fiancée wasn't sure she was a believer. And the guy in his uh, foolish, uh, perhaps his, uh, the blindness that comes with being in love, thought, oh, I'll bring, I'll bring her to Pastor Minor, and maybe he can persuade her to become a believer. Well, what an assignment. 
You know what I did? She was, you know, raised in China, raised with that kind of atheistic education. I don't know if I want to be a Christian. They don't believe in evolution. Look. Becoming a Christian is, first of all, accepting Jesus. Coming to Jesus and receiving him. The other stuff will fall into place. Well, something happened, and I was clueless. But the young man turned to me and said, she's a believer now. And the evidence thereafter was she was. The joy, the delight... When they come down from New York and visit some of us, it's clear they love Wallace, where they heard the gospel. If you're listening to me somewhere out there and you wonder whether or not you can accept all of the stuff that seemingly comes with the Christian religion, it's politics, it's science, whatever it is, no! Come to Jesus, the one who promises to save you. To believe in the Lord Jesus is, first of all, to believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus is, first of all, to say, my Lord and my God. Finally, to believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus To accept him, receive him, rest in him, is to do so on his terms, not yours. We're too easily mistaken in this. We often need to be cut up short later after we've made our apparent first commitment. Oh, I was counting on his help. I was thinking this was some kind of an equal partnership. I was thinking this some kind of a negotiated contract, a 50-50 deal. No, it's not. To believe in the resurrected Son of God is this. On his terms, he came to seek and save the lost. If you don't recognize you're lost, don't even try come to him yet wait until you understand your loss he says he came not to call the righteous if you think you've got some righteousness to offer him don't come it's it's to it's sinners to repentance I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He came to give his life a ransom. If you're going to be one of his ransomed ones, you've got to admit you were enslaved to your sin. You were stuck. You couldn't free yourself. You need him to save you. If you're going to come to the Lord Jesus, As the resurrected son of God, you're going to have to come to his finished work. He did it. And you are not 
a contributor to it. His resurrection is the seal of God the Father Almighty that his death accomplished your salvation. Rejoice this day in the risen Savior and go home and count your blessings through faith in the risen Savior. Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he lived that marvelous life and that you preserved those uh, records of his life, inspired records of his life, so that we can understand him. But thank you that you also raised him from the dead and that he continues to build his church, and may he continue to build Wallace, we pray this morning, so that his name will be glorified. Amen.